stay standing and please stay standing with me. We want to pray a moment. God, we just thank you so much for the truth of that song. In winter, I believe you. In springtime, I see you. Oh, I tell you, God, sometimes in winter times, we it's all we can do is just to believe because we can't see. And then you do send seasons that are different and with life, and you send the springtime, and, and we can see you. We know that you've been there all along. I pray for each one of us in the room that we would know that today, especially as we talk about contentment, because we are going to go through winter and spring. Help us to realize that in both, that we can trust you and that we can find that place of peace and serenity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat now. That'd be wonderful. And I uh, just, if you remember on the first week of the series, Brian sang that song for us. And I was just watching as he sang that song for us. How many of you sang with him? And so I said, you know what? We're going to bring that song back again, and uh, especially to wrap up this series with uh, and look at just because it is such, such truth and it's just a beautiful song. And uh, if you want to find it, you just go to YouTube and just search Cherry Blossoms. And so that'd be a great way to find it. I can't remember the artist's name. I think it's Squiler, Skyler, something like that uh, is his last name. And uh, so you just might want to uh, listen to that at home as well. And just be careful. That's why I said go to YouTube. If you just Google Cherry Blossoms, you're probably going to get Starbucks new drink. So that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Okay, so just know that. So I'm going to invite everybody, if they would, grab your program, your message notes out of your program. They look like this. There's enough on the top, and you're going to use this today. I've had several comments before at how many blanks there are to fill in, so this must mean we're going to be doing a lot of thinking today, okay, listening to God and what he wants to say to us, okay? And then your Bible, open it to Philippians 4. And we're going to jump in with verse 10 here in just a moment. If you don't own a Bible, love to, for you to have one. So you can go at the, in the lobby. There's a bookshelf with Bibles on it. If you want one, you can take one. It's our gift to you today. And so just love you. So by the way, I'm Ron Thompson. I get to be one of the pastors here. Just want you to, uh, to know who I am there. So that's cool. So what we've been doing is we've been looking in these, um, this chapter 4. And uh, we've been looking to Paul. And we've been trusting him to be our mentor been trusting him to be our model as we look at how that we can get to a place where we can say enough is enough. Paul went through some extremely difficult times. He was the leading church planter in his day uh, in charge of spreading the gospel throughout the non-Jewish world. And finally, uh, he was put into prison. And uh, this letter, he wrote many letters from prison. This letter specifically was written from what we call house arrest, which was he actually went to a worse prison later uh, as he was getting ready to be killed because of his faith. Uh, but this letter he wrote from this house arrest. So he wrote many letters. And this one was to a church in a place called Philippi, and it's called Philippians, therefore. And it was basically a letter thanking them for how they had helped him. This is a church that he had started, so you just got to know because of that, he knew the people he'd be writing to. He's probably picturing them as he was writing. They were dear to him uh, in relationship, and so he's writing out of fondness to them. His heart was connected there. It's a church that also chose to say, hey, what? You know what? We're going to support you in your missionary endeavors, so they supported him financially, and even now in prison, 
uh, that they would send money to him in prison because prison wasn't like it is today. In those days, if someone from the outside didn't support you, you didn't eat. You didn't have provision. So someone from the outside supported, and this church in Philippi did that. And we've been looking at this kind of you know line by line. We talked about the first week how that we can increase our joy. Talked the second week how that we can increase our serenity. Last week, John did a great job of talking to us how we can increase our optimism, the way that we view life. And so today what we're going to do is we're just going to take the next section and we're going to talk about how we can increase our contentment, the contentment with life, the life that we face, the life that we live in. Now, some people believe that discontentment has never been a bigger problem in the history of our world than it is today. You think about it, especially in the Western world. Never before have people had so much and yet wanted so much more. Never in history has it been like this. Now, some sociologists are saying that the problem, one of the problems, I just say the problem, because I'm going to be careful here, one of the problems is the advent of social media and the problem of discontentment that's created as especially you know young people, old people, grandmas get on social media and what they do is they are looking at Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, they're looking at folks' highlight reels. These are highlight reels. You just got to know, Instagram, it's all been doctored up mostly to look better so that the person who's putting it out there feels better about themselves so that you're attracted to that. Many times to sell products, many times just to kind of get you interested in a blog in some way. And so they, we end up looking at other people's highlight reels, and what we do is we compare them to our behind-the-scenes reality, <laughs> You know, what we know is going on at the moment. We're looking at this and we're saying, oh, look at this. And then I'll look at my reality. It doesn't even come close. There's such a disparity, a distance between the two. In fact, researchers did a study of two college universities where they asked college students to spend 30 minutes on Facebook. And then at the end of 30 minutes, they surveyed their feelings. And what they found is that one-third of the students who had just spent 30 minutes on Facebook felt significantly depressed, significantly depressed. And here's what they cited, envy as the number one emotion they felt, envy that was created by this. Discontentment is a problem. Now, just in case you're sitting there smugly today and you're thinking, well, that's someone else's problem. I don't have this problem. I don't do social media at all. It's not my deal. It's not just there that we find places where we can be discontent. Uh, how do you know if someone is discontent? How do you know? Well, the basic way, and I presented this to the whole music team and everybody who was on our tech today, uh, before the service today, and you should have seen the reaction, so I'm expecting the kind of same thing here for you right now. A basic way to tell if you are suffering from discontentment is to diagnose your complaint frequency. Diagnose how frequently you complain about circumstances. So you, honestly, I'll just say, you cannot be content and complain at the same time. It's impossible. So I just want to kind of you know, help us out a little bit. You know, we'll do a little mask infection here in a moment. Just, you don't, don't raise your hand yet, but in just a moment. In the last six months, if you complained about your physical appearance or about your education or about your athletic ability or about your achievements or lack thereof, 
or about your finances, or about how busy you are, or about your spouse, or lack thereof, or about your children, or lack thereof, or about the weather, if you complained about your health, or your age, or your boss, or the presidential primaries. <laughs> if you've complained about, this is more serious, if you've complained about God, or how he's been working in your life, or not working in your life, if you complain because there's been any discontentment in your life over the last six months and you've complained, raise your hand. Okay, so there we go. Listen carefully, okay? Just listen carefully today because we all need this. We all need it. So I'm going to begin. I want to define contentment. Now, there's all kinds of definitions, and I could just, you know, filled my whole no sheet of notes up today with definitions. I had to narrow it down to some that spoke to me. Uh, and so I put some there. The first one is from the Holman Bible Dictionary. And it says contentment is, and you want to fill in these blanks, internal internal satisfaction with the, does not demand changes in external circumstances. So it's internal satisfaction, which does not demand changes in external circumstances. So I have this no matter what's going on externally around me. And then this one by Jeremiah Burroughs. I put his picture up here because... This guy was, you know, from a long time ago, as you can tell by his dress. <laughs> and, you know, there's just something, I, I, you know, I really encourage you about this. There's so much we can learn from reading uh, about life from people who are outside of our culture. Because when you read about life from people who are in the culture, they can only speak, uh, speak from the cultural experience. So it's so good to read from those in the past who had a different experience. Now, here's what he says. And I um, just want to encourage you, he's got a little book that I printed off for myself, 143 pages uh, on contentment, uh, that was kind of the crown jewel is what he called it. You can just get the PDF, it's so easy. The crown jewel, there's his name right there, Jeremiah Burroughs, 143 pages on contentment, and this is from that little booklet. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to... And delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Ah, oh, what a beautiful picture of someone who says, I'm, we're going to get to this at the end of the talk today, of someone who says, I trust God. Now, but next I put one that would really kind of fit with the you know, series that we've been in. So the next I said this, contentment is the abiding joy and serenity I can have no matter the circumstances. So that just comes from the series that we're in right now. The abiding joy and serenity, no matter my circumstances. Now, before we go on, I want to help some of you. Uh, I'm just thinking back to our ordinary series when I did that. Some of the strong visceral reactions, actually, that people got from me saying that we should live an ordinary life. Well, some people feel the same way when we talk about contentment. And so I just want to help you to know, you know four things that contentment is not, just to kind of release some of you from the angst you're already feeling or you have felt about this idea of contentment, okay? Four things contentment is not. First, it's not complacency. So contentment is not looking at life and just going, whatever, whatever. There's nothing that can be changed. Contentment is not loving everything the way that it is. Contentment doesn't mean that you have to sit and like what is going on. See, there's a place... For discontentment that has to do with not being willing to let things go on as they are, as they are. Uh, several years ago, our church 
had a phrase that we were using, and some people are still familiar with this, from a book by Bill Hybels, and it's called Holy Discontent. That sometimes we have a discontent that finds its source in just that things aren't the way they should be, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to step out and do something about it. Second, contentment does not mean a lack of dreams. So some people say, oh, we've contented. Well, I'm not going to have any dreams. So if I have dreams, then I'm not contented. That's just not the case. If you read the Bible, you go throughout the Bible, you see that God gave someone a dream, and then he would ask them to move forward with him to create a different reality. So it's saying, hey, there's a different reality possible than the one you're living in, and God would give a dream and push someone forward into that different reality. So to dream is just to aspire for a better future. Third, contentment is not fatalism. Fatalism. And fatalism is just, once again, this passive acceptance that I can't change anything, and so I've just got to sit back and accept it. Sit back and take everything that comes because, well, it's just the way it was meant to be. God's in charge of everything, and so I've just got to accept everything because that's the way it's meant to be. It's not fatalism. Number four, contentment does not mean laziness. Some of you high achievers, you know what this is about, you know, because when you hear the word contentment, your, your fear is that you're going to be able to, someone's going to think you're lazy because you're just not pushing as hard uh, any longer. But it's not laziness, you know, that some people think contentment is you just sit back and I'm going to let everybody else do everything because I'm contented. And so I take this posture of laziness. Okay, now let's read Paul's words beginning in verse 10. And he says this, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So he had been waiting for just a little while for this offering to come to meet his needs. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he's saying, but I understand. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. So he's saying, you know what? Even though your gift was not on time, I was never in need. And here's why. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Circle that word learned. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. So I know how to live in every season, in any and every circumstance. I have learned, circle again the word learned, the secret. You might underline that, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, to begin with, I just circle that word learned because this word has a very specific meaning. It means that I've learned from experience. Not that I've learned through head knowledge, but I've learned through actually experiencing God being enough in my life. Contentment, it's learned. Contentment is not something that you're born with. But it also means that if it's learned, that means it's not something that I can just acquire. You know, that's just going to happen to me, that I have to actually do something to learn it. But the good news is, is because it's learnable, we can all learn it. Now, just think about this and why it's so important that we understand what Paul is saying here. Is that just like riding a bike, that we can learn to do what we could not do. Now, you know, I was reflecting on this, just going back through, you know, my kids and bikes. And, you know, you start with the little three-wheelers that they push. Then you graduate to a three-wheeler with pedals. 
and then you go to something a little bit bigger, like a tricycle kind of thing, and then you end up with uh, a bicycle, but it has what? Training wheels, right, training wheels. So now you're learning a little bit more, and then you take off the training wheels, and that's your big day, right? That's your big day. We have some terrible stories in our family about that big day. Oh, my word, and how, you know, I was thinking that it should happen the very first time, Uh, and so one of them is that we're in Santa Cruz, and we're in a parking lot where it's safe, and I'm just thinking, you know, Ryan had already ridden probably about six months earlier his bike, so I'm going, he's got it down, so he should be able to do this, and he gets out there in the parking lot. For some reason, he froze that day. And, and it was just difficult. And so I'm like, no, you're riding this bike. You're riding this bike. You're riding. And I was pushing him along, pushing him along, pushing him along. And he's ah! <laughs> and all of a sudden, his front tire went into a drain, caught, flipped him head over, you know, right on his face onto the asphalt. Oh, it's not one of my more proud daddy moments. <laughs> Can't even believe I told you. <laughs> oh. But the whole concept is this, is that we can learn. Here's the other beauty about a bike. How many of you not ridden a bike for, let's say, 10 years, you get on a bike? Did you have to go back to training wheels? No. Because once you learn how to ride a bike, you can what? You can ride a bike. And that's what he's wanting us to know here. When you learn how to be content, you can be content in any and every situation. Everyone. Now, turn your notes over if you haven't yet. And I'm just going to walk through some steps on how we can increase our contentment. Uh, and cultivate contentment in our lives. And the first act is this, uh, is that I need to develop a grateful heart. I don't know, if you've been here for every week in the series, you know that this has been the constant every week. Gratitude. And he began in verse 10 by saying this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly for the gift you sent. So he begins in verse 10 with gratitude, expressing gratitude to them for what they had done for him. And so he had learned the discipline of being thankful in all circumstances. So this is the key, thankful in all circumstances. Here's what happens. When you decide that you're going to practice the skill and developing the attitude of gratitude, what happens is, is that instead of looking at things that are wrong, that you want to complain about, you switch your focus and you start looking at things that are good that you want to think about, that you want to thank someone that it's actually happening, that you want to be grateful for the fact that this has been true for you. And so when you're in the posture of gratitude, it's going to move you away from the posture of complaining toward the posture of being content. And that's what Paul did. He was able to overlook the fact that he had been in prison for quite some time and they had not been able to send this gift because he trusted God that he would be there for them. A grateful heart gets to the place where you're able to realize that all of life is a gift. And contentment comes from being able to stop and offer gratitude for the gifts that we've received and be given. Gratitude, as I just said, it stops us. It causes us to pause And look, as we sang in a song today about how good we have it, about how good God is, instead of focusing on how bad things are and what we don't have. Okay, the second idea is this. I've got to watch out for contentment killers. And once again, I just want to do a list here of some contentment killers just to kind of help us out. And we need to watch out. We need to be aware that there are things that are going to rob us of our ability to be content. And the first one is this. I actually only read the verse here. 
I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So I'm just learning. I'm in this situation. I'm going to be content. So what are some of the most common killers of contentment? The first one is the greener grass myth. The greener grass myth. I heard someone say the other day that if the grass looks greener, it's usually painted concrete. You know, so you've all heard the other things. The grass is greener. Just guess what? You've got to mow it, you know, so, so there's a bad side to even greener grass. But what happens is the grass, the greener grass myth, it says when you look at a situation and based upon what you think or you see as you're looking at this situation, based on your perspective, you think this would be better than what I have. Looking at there, this would be better than what I have. This would be better than where I am. This would be more fulfilling than what I'm experiencing. And the greener grass myth will kill your, com- your contentment because nothing is ever good as it appears from a distance, okay? Just not. Just not. Once you dig in. And so a good question to ask about the greener grass myth is this. If I were to get what they have, if I were to get this, how long would that make me happy? And then stop to think about Christmas and opening presents and realizing that, mm, not very long. Then there would be something else that I would want. So, okay, the next one is comparison. Comparison. Now, the fact is that there are lots of things I never knew I needed until you got one. <laughs> okay? Right? Right? It's just the way it is. I was happy and content with what I had, and then you got one. And you have a better one, or you have a blue one, and I wanted to, I've just got a red one, or you know, whatever it happens to be. <laughs> no, and all of a sudden you lose your contentment. I'd say that this is probably one of the most dangerous contentment killers. And you know, we have a multi-billion-dollar industry advertising designed to make us compare and be discontented, so that we will buy a product, and so believing that that's going to make us actually be content. In the long, on the long run. So what we, we just basically look at other circumstances and think, if I were to have this, or if I were to be different, then I would be able to be happier, or I would be able to be more contented. Fourth, third one is envy. Envy. Now I use this. You know, we're talking about the Ten Commandments here, so just know that this killer is also a sin. Uh, uh, coveting would be another way to say that, and the Bible warns about it. In the book of James, it actually talks about this whole idea. He writes that conflict arises whenever someone else gets something that I want, basically. That's one of the major sources of conflict. Proverbs 14.30, you might write this down. It says this, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Rots the bones. So here's how we let the greener grass myth, comparisons, and envy rob us of contentment. We believe that we must have something outside of ourselves in order to be content, in order to know that. We believe that we must have the approval of others or whatever it is. We must be liked by everyone to be content. We believe that if we had just a little bit more, we would be content. Okay, last one is this. Contentment killer, unrealistic goals or dreams. I was hit head on with this one recently. Unrealistic goals or dreams. Now, I just to be honest, okay? We just need, some of us really need to be honest here. We need to face the music 
And we need to admit and accept what is real because we are dreaming a dream that is not possible, that is just not possible. And I was just thinking about this. You know, I have a dream that I can be a singer. (laughs) I really do. I have a dream that I can be a singer. Now, we make jokes about this at my house and everywhere else where people have heard me sing. And so I was not given the gift of singing or even understanding pitch or tone or any of those things or rhythm. I can't even clap my hands on rhythm. I have to watch the guys up here to make sure that I'm on rhythm. <laughs> Confession there. Uh, but here's how that really hit me recently is that, uh, you know, I have a dream of someday being able to retire. And I got a late start at this whole concept of retirement. And then about, I'm going to guess, nine, ten months ago, my brother, my little brother called me and said, I just want to let you know that I'm retiring in November. And I'm like, my little brother is retiring in November. And I'm like, well, you know, I should be able to retire too, right? Because he is. And so what I realized in that whole deal is this, is that, I, I had a dream that I could retire early. My brother had a dream that he could retire early, and he did the things to make it possible. And so I have to let go of that dream. I just have to let go. And if I, but because if, if I hang on to it, then it's going to create discontentment in me. So you need to ask yourself, what dream are you holding on to that's just not possible? Just not possible. I'm not trying to crush your dreams here today. I'm just trying to say some of you have dreams you're holding on to that are just not possible, and it's creating incredible discontentment inside of you. Okay, the next one is this. I need to learn to adjust to changing circumstances. To adjust to changing circumstances. Right. Gas prices go up, gas prices go down, okay? So changing circumstances. And that we're all going to have them. And some of us, we face changing circumstances all day long. It's just how things are different than we would have anticipated. Life is like a roller coaster, and sometimes you're going upside down, and sometimes you know, you're know you coasting, and sometimes you're going face down, and then other times you're going up, and it's slow, but that's the way that life is. And so what, just like in a roller coaster, you adjust your body position on how it's going, you need to learn to adjust to the circumstances you face in life. Now, aging, not that I'm familiar with this, <laughs> is one of those things that you, know, I, you just you have to learn to adjust to how things change. Now, it also helps to have a lot of humor around this whole idea of how things change. And so I, I probably read this to you before, but I want to do it again today uh, about the changes of growing old. Here's the top 10 perks of growing old, okay? Just so you know that. Those of you who are in your 20s and 30s, just know this is to come. Those of you who are in it, please forgive me, okay? Okay. The top 10 perks of growing old. In a hostage situation, you are the one who's likely to be released first. <laughs> when someone calls at 9 p.m., they ask, did I wake you? <laughs> Here's another one. Perk of growing old. There's nothing left to learn the hard way. <laughs> oh, here, I love this one. Things you buy now won't ever wear out. <laughs> how, how to know that, how to, uh, a perk of growing old. You actually enjoy hearing about other people's operations. <laughs> a perk of growing old. You have a party and the neighbors don't even realize it. 
Oh, a perk of growing old. You no longer think of speed limits as a challenge to keep, but now they're a goal to reach. <laughs> oh, a perk of growing old. You quit trying to just did this to hold your stomach in no matter who walks into the room. You don't care anymore. <laughs> oh, second, your investment in health insurance is finally beginning to pay off. And then the number one perk of growing old is this. Your secrets are safe with your friends because they can't remember them either. (laughs) Oh, you got to learn to laugh, and laughter helps you adjust to changing circumstances. Now, let's look at what Paul said, okay? Look at his changing circumstances. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. You know, you really need to study Paul's life to know that, you know, he grew up uh, as a favored son. He grew up very wealthy uh, in the highest uh, education systems of his time, and so he knew what it was like to have everything. And then Paul also knew what it was like to have nothing. And then he says this, in any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And what he's wanting us to know is, is that we can adjust and we can experience contentment in every circumstance, every circumstance. So I just want to suggest, if you don't know how to handle change, you're going to be miserable in life. And you've just got to learn how to handle changing circumstances. The secret of contentment is not getting what I want, but wanting what I have. I adjust myself to that view of life. Okay, number four, rely on Christ's power and perspective. Rely on Christ's power and perspective. I need to rely on Jesus. And then he says, verse 13, a verse that many of you know, and you quote, you see a lot of sports teams use this on you know, tattoos or on their jerseys or bands or something like that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you got, have Jesus junk in your house, and it's on there, okay? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying you've got it. Okay, so we all do. So Paul is not speaking theoretically here. He's speaking experientially. He's experienced this. This is another reason why it's so good to develop a grateful heart. But what he's saying here is this. He's saying, I've learned, this is what he's saying, I've learned that Jesus is always enough. That's what I've learned. Jesus is always enough. Remember in the week on joy, I said that part of the deal on joy is that I need to learn to enthrall myself with Jesus. Jesus is all I need. So you might fill this in. I will always battle discontentment until I let Jesus be all I need. Contentment is found in Jesus. And if I'm going to learn how to be content, I have to learn how to let Jesus give me strength. See, it's a call to cling to him. It's a call to come to him. And as you do, you, re- you realize and acknowledge his presence is real and that he really does offer you, when you're in relationship with him, a peace that passes all understanding, even circumstances that you wish were different. Jesus is the source of contentment. Now, Many of you, and I do, and I've done the same thing, so just know, I've done the same thing and probably do the same thing again in the future. But many of us, we take this verse so out of context. 
And so, you know, you'll, I heard one guy tell a story one time that uh, when he was in high school, uh, that uh, they, when he was a freshman, just got, or actually, I think he was a junior, because he went on the varsity team, so he was a junior on the varsity team, that all the, all the uh, high school players, it was a Christian school, they all got armbands with, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. Okay, they all had armbands. So they go out for their very first game. They lost 73 to nothing. <laughs> and he said, the other team must have been better Christians than us. <laughs> because, see, that verse is taken out of context. This verse doesn't say you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. This verse says is that you can be content in all things through Christ who gives you strength. And the way that that happens is, is that you learn contentment through times of, I'm just saying the best way to learn contentment is times of distress. And then when you realize that even in times of distress that Jesus is enough, that Jesus was all I needed during this season, and you lean into him. So I planned to end the message there, but as I was praying and I read the rest of Philippians, I thought, well, gosh, there's a bunch of good stuff to go. And so I, I just thought, let's end with 419. But here, I want to give you this because it turned out to be, to me, the most important point of the day. And it's this. The secret is to trust God to know and meet all my needs. So if I'm going to be content, cultivate contentment, I need to trust God to know and meet all my needs. And this is what verse 19 says. My God, this is what I love. This is about relationship. This is about understanding. He didn't say God. He didn't say your God. He said what? My God. See, Paul had developed a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ to the point where now he's giving us his heart. He's giving us his emotion. He's giving us his sense that I trust God in all things. And he says, my God will supply every need, every need of yours, according to, so every need from where? According to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. So he will provide every need. He's the creator. He has all riches through Jesus Christ for us. God knows what you need. And I just know there's been times when, and then the reason I was discontented and I complained because I thought I knew what I needed better than God thought. And I got in trouble. And I ended in a worse state of discontentment. And what Paul's saying to us is he says, trust God. And you do this through practice, like riding your bike. You learn how to do it, and when you know how to do it, it becomes natural. And so I, I just want to end with this thought uh, because I, I thought, well, I never talked about scarcity. And so let's just, let's just breeze through it real quickly, okay? Let's talk about scarcity for just a minute. To live with a perspective of scarcity basically means I don't believe that God is going to meet my needs. It means I don't believe that there's enough for me. So if I, if I walk through life with scarcity, I will never be content because I'm always believing that there's not enough or there's not enough for 
me. I don't care whether you're talking about money or time or prestige or success, etc. Scarcity always cries out, there is not enough. And God wants to encourage you today to say that in me, there is always enough. And I'll put a quote there at the end of your notes. This is from another person out of another era, Quaker Thomas Watson. And he says this, if God is not enough for you, you will never have enough. And I would just add, when God is enough for you, you will always have enough. Let's pray together. God, as we come to this point in our service, it's not just time to you know, bow our heads and just disengage. But Lord, it's a time for us to talk to you each one of us, that we would talk to you right now and that we would be willing to say to you today that uh, maybe you've been caught up in the complaint cycle and that it's just you've been whining and uh, complaining and you've been uh, struggling and that you've not had gratitude, you've been discouraged and it's just coming out everywhere you go. In everything you think. And so you confess that to him. Just do it. Just tell him. Say, God, I've been a complainer. Maybe you've been caught up in the, you know, the, some of the things that kill contentment. The greener grass myth, comparisons, pursuing dreams that are unrealistic. Envy or greed, coveting. Once again, just say, God, here's the truth. Here's the reality. I know what I've been doing. And then you would say, God, help me to become a person who focuses on the good. Help me to learn to ride a different bike than I've been riding. I want to ride the bike that's all about you and your goodness, all about the goodness around me, the goodness in people, the goodness in where I am. Help me to become a person of gratitude. That as much as I you know, can be authentic in this, that I would be the most grateful person in the room. That's what I want to be. And Father, I pray now that you would just help us, because it's really about our relationship with Jesus. And I just want to give, give you all an opportunity that some of you may not know Jesus. You know, talk about, you know, turning to him and you're like, well, I don't really know him. And I just want to give you a chance. You can say yes to Jesus today. Yes to Jesus being part of your life. He wants to give you himself. It's not about rules. It's not about regulations. He wants to give you himself. It's about relationship. And so you would just say to Jesus, Jesus, much as I understand this today, I want to know you. I admit I've not been following you. I admit that I've been living life my way. In case you don't know, the Bible calls that sin. So I confess that to you today, God. And I just ask that you would forgive me, cleanse me, and that you would put me on the path to contentment. Help me to learn what it means to walk with you, to trust you, even when I'm in winter, Help me to believe you. And when I'm in spring, help me to see you.
that I may believe that in you are all things and all things good and that you love me. And God, I thank you so much for this church and I thank you for the people here. And I pray, God, that you would help us in this area and that as we become contented, that we become generous, we become others-focused, or concerned about the needs around us. Help us to be people that live everyday life on mission. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.